Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Dirk Van Rienen, founder and CEO of Bergflow, on how to unlock collaboration and the collective genius within your work teams. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture within modern work. And my guest today is Dirk Van Rieden, an award-winning entrepreneur, international consultant, trainer, and the founder and CEO of Workflow, a company focused on team building for service-based companies. I'll let you get into a little bit of that. Dirk. So uh, we're focusing today uh, around the cultural aspects of collaboration and specifically how to unlock collaboration and the collective genius within your work team. So welcome, Dirk. Hey, Christian. Thank you so much for uh, having me on the show. Really excited to dive into this topic with you. So I know you have an extensive background uh, as an entrepreneur and a business owner. Maybe you can share a bit more of your background, like what kind of brought you to where you are now. Yeah, so I mean, I was actually just having this discussion with my daughter. She's eight years old. And she asked me, um, hey, did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? Like when when you were my age? And I said, yeah, I kind of knew I, I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I wanted to be a business owner. So, you know, from a very early age, that was really the blueprint of what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, just really didn't know much about what that path would look like and unfold into um, but for me, I've always been fascinated by, by business and doing business and, and putting things together, creating things. So, um, you know, that's kind of been my path. And, uh, I was able to, um, acquire a business when I was 21 years old. And so I really started my, my business career there while I was actually, um, in college. And from there, just have gone through an elev- uh, evolution of, of successes and some epic failures, um, but really, you know, started learning more about teams in uh, 2013. And that came as a result of just realizing that no matter how driven I am, no matter how hard I work, there's no way that I can succeed alone. So for the first time in my life, I really um, started understanding that the the path for me to really build a big life and create, uh, you know, a lot of opportunity is going to be solely dependent on the type of teams that I can build that we can work together and execute with. So in 2013, I started really diving into studying uh, team building and team dynamics. And it's something that um, has really served me well in being able to build businesses and uh, build teams. And in 2017, we launched Bergflow, which is a, a company that specializes in uh, team building within companies, unlocking collective genius, collaboration, and and helping companies understand how to really build teams um, from a data uh, standpoint, right? So th- there's a lot more data today in, in what team building looks like, how to build the right kind of profiles for people, and, and how to, one, hire the right people for the right positions with the right motivation, and secondly, how to empower them to really work together to collaborate and um, just achieve higher levels of success. You've touched on kind of all the points I want to hit uh, in our discussion today. And so uh, reading about your company, uh, Bergflow and your methodology and building teams, things that really stood out to me, like number one, that strength-based roles and, and finding people that fit. I've talked extensively, I've written extensively about this. My personal experience as a people manager and a manager of managers and, you know, accomplishing goals through teams like that side of it. So much of the success that I found, and I could even point back to failures were in not having people aligned with roles that fit the strengths of what they could deliver. So I'm a big believer in that. In fact, I have I mean, I'll get back to this. I know since, you know, it makes great for, for great audio showing a picture of a book, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, so I have multiple copies of the book, uh, First Break All the Rules that I would give to every one of my direct reports when I would hire them. So I still have a stack from my, you know, a couple of companies back. 
Uh, but also what stood out, the importance of having that communication and collaboration strategy, so important now, especially as, as more and more organizations are hybrid and may remain hybrid uh, mm. with all the remote work that's been happening. And then the final one is a, a data-driven decision-making, uh, which again, is it, it's not a, a new concept, uh, but I'd love to dig into that. So I'd love to dive into each of those topics but let's, let's start out with that first one, the strength-based role. So as I, I held up the book, I talked about first break all the rules. I've long been a fan of Marcus Buckingham and Don Clifton's work on, you know, for first break all the rules and their follow-up now discover your strengths. I've, I've met with, uh, uh, done some training with Marcus directly when I was back when I was at Microsoft, was lucky enough to be part of the management excellence community, the leadership team there inside of Microsoft, where we had these thought leaders that, that, came in and and we got to it's great when there's you have somebody like marcus buckingham meeting with at the time steve bomber was still there ceo was meeting with bomber had a couple hours extra and so graciously the leadership development team said hey leadership management excellence community people would you like to meet like six of us meet with marcus for two or three hours and pick his brain. Sure, you would love to do that. Uh, but when in that, I know all that research that came from Gallup looking at, it was over like 2 million people that participated in the surveys and research around this to understand how do organizations operate? What worked, what didn't work? So how does strength-based roles and leadership fit within your focus? Yeah, I think, you know, for us, it's, it's starting with a, a philosophy and a perspective that every human being has uh, innate strengths. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, um, everybody has strengths. And the traditional approach, you know, the, the kind of traditional wisdom is like, uh, you know, have awareness around your strengths, but like, you know your weaknesses and work your weaknesses, be a well-rounded person. Um, and really the research has shown that that is not a good philosophy. Mm. It's, it's, you know, our, our approach is like, understand what your weaknesses are, have awareness around where they are and where those gaps can, can hurt you, but have acute awareness around your strengths and put every little bit of extra time and effort and energy into developing your strengths. And especially because of the rate of change in the world today and what's happening within organizations, disruption, worldwide, industry-wide, uh, people simply don't have the time to work on their weaknesses. So uh, our whole approach is really get to understand people, understand where their strengths are, where their gaps are, but hire people according to their highest level of strength and then create opportunities for them to build additional skill around their strengths. Because there's... Um, you know, we tell people, look, if, if you know what your strengths are and you know what your weaknesses are and you work on your weaknesses, the best you'll ever be, even if you, your entire life you work on your weaknesses, the best you'll ever be is average. If you, if you understand your strengths and you start really working on your strength and building skill on your strength, then you start kind of getting into this, this zone of superpower. You start getting into the zone where you do something really well. And it, it's the idea of specialist over generalist. Mm -hmm. That if you if you look at any profession, specialists always out earn generalists, right? That the jack of all trades never gets paid as much as the specialist does. So we really believe in understanding every person that we are looking to hire, every every company that we work with to help them do the same thing. We really want to help them understand what are the collective strengths within their organization based on their people. And we we always assess. Um, at the organizational level, the team level, and the individual level, so that we really understand at all three of those levels, where are the strengths, and then where are the gaps. And what we re recommend is, look, hire to the gaps and pour into the strengths. So if you have a gap somewhere, instead of trying to get your whole team to really cover that gap, get people to focus on their strengths, get better at what they're doing, and then hire somebody else that their strength fills the gap. So that, that's really the, the strength-based approach. And for us, we, we take a three-dimensional look at this. I, the, the first thing is we look at innate wiring or behavior because we, we feel like that's one of the foundational pieces that creates um, somebody's strength is 
how they behave, how they approach situations, and where the behavioral strength comes from, because that's one of the things that has um, the the deepest root in how people show up is is innate wiring, and how that turns into behavior. the The next thing we look at is uh, something called cognitive agility, and that is how does somebody's mind work? How fast can they learn and how fast can they process information? And we, we want to really understand that. So again, we can put them in a position where they can thrive. Um, and it's not always like one thing that's important to understand about that is it's not always about hiring the smartest people. There's a lot of research now that's data-driven that shows that, look, if you hire somebody that is really sharp, really fast, and needs a lot of cognitive stimulation, and you put them in a role that doesn't offer that, what happens is they're gonna get bored very quickly, they're gonna get distracted, and they're actually gonna be a poor performer. Like you're, you're probably not gonna have a high level retention with that person. So um, there's actually a scale where we kind of rate every single job and we say, hey, for this position, this is the cognitive agility uh, score that you're looking for. And what we find is when, when we match that with the right behavior, and then the third thing we look at is emotional intelligence, when we match those things together, we start getting a really strong data set on who this person is, how does that fit into the team that they're going to be working on, and how does that match up with the environment that they'll be working in. And when, when we start understanding that, we can really start engineering um, a, a team based on the, the strengths of uh, the organization, right? The, the, the strengths of the team, the individual, and the organization. And what that does is it, you know, for us and for our clients, it, it creates an incredible competitive advantage that's typically not focused on, right? I think a lot of companies are always focusing on, okay, what's our product? What's our, what's our message? What's our brand? What's our, you know, marketing plan? What are these kind of things? And they, they kind of overlook the foundational piece of the company, which are the people. And we 100% believe, like we have a saying in our company that the companies with the best teams will win, period. Um, if the market shifts, product shifts, service shifts, whatever the case may be, the companies with the best teams ultimately will win. So that's where we believe every company should start as a baseline focusing on is, all right, who are my people? What are their strengths? And how can we bring them together to collaborate? Yeah, that's, uh, again, I, mean, I completely understand that. And I've been through uh, you know, personally, I've been through some, you know, leadership development training and other courses. One that I went through a few years back, uh, you know, while I was still at Microsoft and, and just after I left was still involved with the program called Pathwise. But the idea there was, and that was based, it was developed by a psychiatrist and a psychologist, um, the psychologist that worked in tech his entire career, and then a career psychiatrist and built this leadership development program and working with tech companies and what they saw for su successful teams. And it had a lot of the same principles. It was, you know, one, starting with the self is understand what are my skills, what are my strengths, and recognize, like, I, I, I've, and I've written about, uh, for example, like the myth of the well-rounded employee. It is a myth mm -hmm. because, yeah. I, well, no, there, there are those freaks of nature that are good at everything that they touch. But if you're basing your success on finding those individuals that are out there, you'll be very unhappy most of your career. Like I've come across some people that are just brilliant and fantastic at each of those things. And to your earlier point, holding on to those people is very difficult as well. Um, but where I found the greatest success and what I learned through this program is understanding what my skills are, what the gaps were, and then building and structuring a team um, based on, hey, here's the business problems we're trying to solve and finding the people that are best in each of the different areas that I need. Where I had a brilliant data analyst paired who was definitely afraid of presenting in public, who I paired with a technology illiterate but wonderful program manager who could build a PowerPoint and present anything, you know, I, I, to borrow a line from Tommy Boy, uh, you know, could sell uh, ketchup popsicles to people in white gloves. Um, she was fantastic there. Pairing to them together, it was an unstoppable force because you had the brilliance of the data analysis. You had the ability to then go take that message and deliver that, but it was bringing them together where both of them were able to go and, and shine. 
So finding that unlocked then the, the potential. If, if I had forced that data analyst to go and present her own work, uh, it, she would have not been as strong in the delivery of the brilliance of her work. And likewise, the strong PM would have never had the depth of the knowledge and the expertise of the data had I not paired them together. And so that's, that's that experience of finding that. that it's hard to do that. <laughs> I, I well, found the, the thing about it too is, uh, you know, one thing that we look for is what is true behavioral strength versus what is learned behavior and learned skill. Because um, I mean, you know, sometimes we'll look at a data set and, and figure out that somebody's not really detail oriented. They're really more big picture, but they identify as somebody that's detail oriented because they've learned in certain circumstances to look for the details. So for, for example, somebody can say, um, well, hey, I'm good at reading contracts, right? And when they're reading a contract, they've learned how to kind of hone in on certain things and look for certain language and, you know, um, what needs to be there, what doesn't need to be there. And they, they've learned how to look for those details, but they're not a detail-oriented person, right? A detail-oriented person picks up details in any kind of environment. Like they just naturally see the the finer points of everything in every environment not just when they're reading contracts in that example mm -hmm. and what we tend to find is that people because maybe in that example somebody thinks that they're 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 good at details with contracts they they say hey, i'm a detail-oriented person but when you start putting them through through a faster pace of speed and you start putting it into different environments then their natural behavior starts taking over and they start missing details. They start, um, you know, overlooking things. And quickly you realize, okay, what they have is learned behavior around a certain area. They're not actually a detail-oriented person. And then there's other people that they've built skill. And, and the interesting thing is a lot of people have built skill from a, kind of a subconscious level of, you know, even things that happen in childhood or early adulthood where, for some reason, if, if they didn't feel like they measured up in a certain area that made them not as valuable or less than as a human being, whatever the case may be. So they really focus on a particular area and they think that that, that fixes that issue, which it really doesn't. And they go through their whole life, you know, working on their weakness and trying to fix that skill because they think if, if I have that skill, then I'm finally complete as a human being. If I, if, and if I don't have that skill, it means that something's wrong with me. And you know, one thing that we we really celebrate with people is to say, look, um, no matter who you are, like you are innately very screwed up. And we all are as human beings, we're, we're exceptionally flawed, but we're also at the same time, exceptionally brilliant. And what we tell people is like, look, there can be a lot of stuff that's really messy in your life that you're not really good at that, you, you know, and that's okay. Because if we can find out what you're actually really good at, if we can find out what that true strength is and help you build skill around it, you'll be so good at that thing that you'll be celebrated in a way that you could never be celebrated trying to cover your, your, your weaknesses. And that's really the, the brilliance of it. And, and like you said, I mean, it's, it's hard to do if you don't have the data sets, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, we talk to people and they say, well, I'm, I'm good at hiring people. And they're like, well, how do you hire people? And they're like, well, I, I kind of go for gut feel. And I just kind of laugh and say, look, I mean, if, if you were really that good that your gut really told, told you how to hire the right people and who are the right people to always hire, you would probably have like one of the global empires on, on the planet. You know, you may not be, you know, you probably wouldn't be struggling to sustain a very average type business. So, and, and really that's, that's ego telling us that, hey, we really know people, right? The, it's just like the stock market or anything else. Like if we can actually use data sets to understand uh, human beings uh, from a data point as well. And that doesn't mean that human beings are only the data set. Cause I know a lot of people get offended when you start talking about this and they're like, well, I'm more than a data set and I'm more than this. And yes, you are. And there is science behind human behavior. There is science behind cognitive um, you know, ability. There is science behind emotional intelligence. So if you can look at the data set and the science, it starts making hiring and team building and collaboration so much easier. It takes a massive load off of you as a leader trying to build a team when you can look at and say, wow, okay, there's actually some tools and training out there that if I could learn those things. And that's what happened in my life. You know, I, I didn't really know how to hire people. I didn't know how to build teams. I didn't know any of that. You know, I mean, I, I went to school for business and they never taught us any of that, that stuff. And then when I got in the real world, 
and I was working 70, 80 hours a week and, and still feeling like I'm failing financially and not spending time with my family. I mean, I just finally got to a point. I was like, okay, I'm, something's missing here. And, you know, that's kind of in 2013 when I started this new journey and just started looking at, wow, there are different ways of viewing things. And if I have the right data, I can make better decisions on an ongoing basis. That, well, see, that's interesting. We'll, we'll kind of switch up on the topics. I was going to go to this third, but I, I, I think around the data, uh, that side of it, there, there has been a major shift that's been happening within uh, organizations. And look, my background, I come from technical project management and was building out project management organizations for companies. It's a consultant, I've worked in tech, I've started, I've been an entrepreneur, started things as well. But, and so having you know, data, that side of that and having access to and looking at the transactional data and pairing that with demographic and psychographic information about your, your customer base and making decisions about where do we invest in uh, you know, working for ISVs, independent software vendors, where do we go and build product? We only have a certain number of engineers. We only have a certain mm -hmm. number of features and things that we can go and focus on. What is the right area to go and focus on? I mean, even a massive company like Microsoft, everybody thinks all the time, it's like, why isn't Microsoft working on this? I said, every one of those product areas, there's a finite number of engineers working on it. And they do things at an incredible pace and build this out, just like any of these massive tech companies. But there are people behind that they have their, their focus areas. Uh, they have a limited number of features that they can go and build and support and be aware of and things that are out there. And sometimes the, I mean, the rate of change that's happening in the world today, the market can move faster, customer demands can move faster than even the fastest companies can move. You, you can't forget that there are humans behind that and, and uh, especially in our interaction with them. But around the data, I mean, so much about data uh, drives how companies are thinking uh, and the, the data-driven decision-making, certainly within product management. So how important is data to building better teams and how are you actually measuring? Like, what are, you at, what are those metrics actually look like that you're looking at on a regular basis or that you're training your customers to look at, to know how to build that team and then how to manage them and keep them performing ongoing? Yeah, so there's several things that we're looking at. I mean, first off, um, you know, kind of going back to the rate of change in the world today, uh, the, the, the rate of change in the world today is actually the number one thing that's causing stress and anxiety and depression in the world. So um, this is actually something that in, in 2016, the rate of change in the world actually exceeded the human ability to adapt to change at the, at the individual level. So um, really the only way to keep up with the rate of change today is at the human system level, which is when humans come together and collaborate. And that's why it's so important to, for companies to understand that if they're not collaborating, if they're still approaching everything from an individualistic approach, they're quickly falling behind what's happening in the world today. And from an individual basis, you know, that's even pre-COVID, um, more people were experiencing anxiety and, and stress and depression without really understanding why. And it's because there was, um, it, it was hard to kind of pinpoint what it is, but the research actually shows that it, it was, it's a feeling of hopelessness because you, you get a sense, even at a subconscious level, you get the sense that things are changing faster than I can actually adapt to them. I'm falling behind. So um, that's actually one, you know, in, in 2016, I was running uh, uh, as a CEO of an organization that did uh, $800 million a year in sales uh, with over 500 uh, salespeople growing extremely quickly, very successful company. And that's the year that um, I resigned because I realized that when, when I saw the research of the rate of change, I realized, okay, this is going to be one of the most significant things that are going to rip companies apart in the future. And uh, I resigned from, uh, from my corporate position and I started Bergflow. And what we started working on is, is a, a program called Pivot Ready Teams. And that's the core of what we do is to build teams that are pivot ready, that can handle change, that can adapt to change faster than other companies. Because today, if your company can adapt to change faster than your competitor, you're going to beat them. Um, it doesn't matter about product or service. I mean, obviously, we always believe that you got to have a good product, you got to have a good service, you got to be consistent. Um, however, for the long haul, the game has changed. It's not about quality of service anymore. It's about speed of adaptability. That's what's going to keep you in the game longer term. And by the way, the speed of adaptability will help you create a better product and a better service on the fly. So we, we really looked at, okay, um, in order to do that, you can't 
take five years to get to know somebody and like who this person really is and what their strengths are and all that kind of stuff. You have to be able to do it exceptionally fast. And so we, we created the system where, you know, the, the, the core data that we look at is based on uh, innate wiring, cognitive agility and emotional intelligence. So those are the, the three things that we pull together. And what we look at is uh, first off, we start looking at the company and what's the, the mission and vision of the company. What, what is the culture that the company wants to set? And, you know, people kind of have this idea of like, well, some companies have culture and some companies don't. And that's simply not true. All companies have culture. Some companies are just purposeful about their culture and they have great culture. Other companies have funky culture because they don't focus on it. So um, culture is one of these things that can, can be uh, engineered as well. And depending on the team that I bring together, I can start determining what the culture of the organization is going to be. So culture is really going to be um, a derivative of, of what happens when you bring people together and how they show up. So what we look at is, uh, again, on the, on the individual profile level, on the team level, and or, or on the organizational level, we start looking at and analyzing, you know, what are the data points that need to happen here within the people that, that come together? Because, um, you know, a lot of people talk about personality. And personality is... Uh, again, it's a, it's a byproduct of behavior and behavior is a byproduct of innate wiring. So a lot of people, when they say, oh, we want to hire people with great personalities, like, okay, well, that's one thing, but what, what happens to that personality when this person's under stress? What happens to that personality when this person's feeling a lot of pressure? What happens to the personality when they're working on a team that they don't really fit into or doing work that's not suited for them? The personality is going to shift very quickly. So you can't look at personality, right? You got to go way back to the deeper core function of who a human is. So we can, we can look at that when we design a job profile. Now, it's not just about what are the tasks that the person's going to do? It's about, okay, what kind of behavior, what kind of innate wiring does this person need? What type of cognitive agility will they need? And then what level of emotional intelligence will they need? Because cognitive agility and behavior or, or innate wiring are set. They're, they're more static type things. I mean, um, Behavior can change under very extreme circumstances, but it's it's really a harsh process to try to change somebody's behavior. So think of it as like, you know, the, the, the behavior is going to be uh, more static based on the, the innate wiring. The cognitive agility is going to be more static. The emotional intelligence can be built. So you can find somebody with low emotional intelligence, put them through a training course. Maybe, you know, in six months, they're going to have a higher level of emotional intelligence. They keep working on it. in two or three years. They can actually have exceptionally high emotional intelligence. So that one's a variable. But what we look at is if you want to get somebody into action fast, be able to put them um, directly, put them into the environment to uh, get engaged, get engaged with the team right off the bat and not have to take two to three years for them to kind of warm up to the position and the team that like, we just don't have that, that luxury. So what we have to do is understand what are we looking for before we even start? And once we understand that, when a person comes in that we start the process with, we can run all the data points and the data is going to tell us right off the bat what their, their chances for success in their role is going to be before we even hire them. So if, if those things match, and then the other thing is, I mean, that's one part of getting the match, right? The other part is, you know, does the person have the same type of values that the organization has? And we believe like that has to be a match. You know, is there alignment in vision in their goals and what they want to accomplish personally and where the company's going and, and by them being part of the company, can they win outside of the company? That's going to be important. You know, so, just with what you've described, I, I think of the num number of companies that I've worked with over the years and some that I thought, you know, did a really good job of the, through the, the hiring process. There's one company that I worked with, well, two that, that I worked for, one in downtown San Francisco, another one down the peninsula in San Mateo. But both of them had kind of a similar practice where anyone coming in, the, the review process, the phone reviews, but then there was a full day in person with different meetings. There were one-on-one -on -one meetings. There were multiple managers meeting with, and we did it on Fridays so that basically we knew that Fridays anybody in a people management, or you could be asked to be, you be pulled into these interview schedules. Friday was about interviewing. We were growing so rapidly with this VC funded startup. Uh, and, and then we would like go to lunch, see them in the lunch where, where they thought mm -hmm. they like, okay, kind of their, 
you know, everything is uh, the, like the, the front is down, the wall is down, they're being comfortable to see how they react. We yep. removed people from the interview pool based on the lunch experience and feedback oh, yeah. from everybody that went. But going through all those things, and then they always ended the day in like drinks in the conference room with anybody in the company want to get. And again, it was a casual conversation. So we saw the highly structured, the here's going to be the, the direct manager. Here's other leaders from the organization. Here's a potential peer. Here's a lunchtime. Here's an after work, like all those different things was doing a lot of what you're describing, which was we've already outlined that the person has the pedigree for the role. Mm -hmm. And if that's as far as you go as an organization, you'll never get the cultural fit. And then you'll be wondering, how did we go so wrong with this hire that on paper seemed to be a great fit for this? We were able to find like one of the, the hires, this is a person who's now a vice president at a major company. I'm saying with Amazon now, but was, you know, been with some major name companies who was a, a music major who, uh, you know, was, became a brilliant coder. And it was all because of the cultural fit. They started to understand better his mind and how he fit within yeah. that, gave him other tasks, rapidly gave him the, the technology path to grow into to where he's now a, a, an executive, a leader at a major technology brand. It was all came through these other interactions where everybody just said, you know, there's not a fit for any of the open positions, but this is the right person. And I know that we put him in, move him in and, and give him time to learn that he'll move up into those other positions. Well, I think, you know, that's a, that's an interesting observation um, because what we find is, uh, you know, we, when, we, when we talk about lead generating for talent, right, one of the, the biggest challenges that companies are having today is finding what we hear people say like, hey, we, we can't find good people. Like there's a, there's a labor shortage. There's this, and I mean, we 100% we believe that that's a, one, it's a mindset. And secondly, it's because people have outdated hiring practices. So we, we fully believe that there's incredibly talented people all over the place. They're looking for the right opportunities. Um, but one thing that we do is we teach people um, when it comes to lead generating for talent, we say, look, there's position-based lead generation, which means that you got very something very specific in mind that you're hiring for. And then there's something that we call radar-based lead generation, mm -hmm. which is that you kind of have this little uh, radar that you set up in your mind of recognizing talent and what that means. And it doesn't matter if you're at a restaurant or, you know, picking up your clothes from the dry cleaners or, you know, wherever it is at the ball game, that if you see somebody in action, if you can observe it, then you should engage that person in a conversation, a recruiting conversation about coming to work for your company and then exploring the, the process. And the, the day that you the, the kind of describe the, the Friday, right? Um, what we do is we have a process that once all the, the, the analytical data tells us that this person is going to have a, a, a high likelihood of success in the company, then we start what we call like the, the human extraction process where we want to extract as much data out of this human as possible. And some of that is through observation. And then some of it is through asking questions, right? It's a, it's a combination of those things. But uh, we do things that we, we, we do a life story interview where we go really deep in understanding who they are from the time that they were a kid into like, who are you today? Like, how did you become the person you are? We do a thought process interview where we really explore how they think. We do a future pacing interview where we really just explore what the next five years of their life could look like based on what they want. Mm -hmm. And then we do group interviews and we do a social interview. So we, we train companies on how to take this candidate, get them into different environments and explore different conversations with them so that you can start understanding, is this person going to be a fit um, values-wise, cultural-wise? Are they in alignment with how they're going to show up? Do they have the level of determination and grit to make it through the tough times, right? Are they going to have the discipline and commitment to be a part of being on a team versus just wanting to be a solo player. So there's all of these things. When, when we look at data, we can look at the, again, the, the analytical data from the assessments, but then we train people on how to, how to get all these other data points out of somebody, again, through asking questions and observation. 
And when you put those things together, what happens is you massively increase your ability to hire the right people for the right position. And, you know, what, what companies, we hear a lot of companies are like, well, we just need somebody right now. So we just need to hire somebody. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, when we talk to those companies, they typically have higher turnover. They're hiring people three, four months later, the people leave and they're doing the process over. And the research shows that if you can hire the right people and retain them long-term and teach them how to be a great team player. And like you said, this other gentleman that you were talking about, give them an opportunity to expand, give them an opportunity to learn, to grow, to become a leader in the organization. Now you're, you're starting to add momentum to your company. And usually everybody wants the quick fix, right? They want the, how do I just fix this right now versus saying like, what do I need to do to re-engineer my company and how we look at our people over the next year, 18 months, three years, so that five years from now, we can have an incredible company versus just always looking for the quick fix that just pulls us back. Well, it's something that you just said there too about going back and re-looking at that is how many you know companies are treating this not as, hey, I'm not just ramping up and developing a better onboarding process, how we identify potential employees, how we train them and then let them loose inside the organization. But there's a an organization-wide you know, regular process of going and reviewing that because your business mm -hmm. changes, your customer needs change, the market changes, all those things. And your employees grow and change because that's a key part of retention. For me, it's always been like looking at a company, one of the key questions is how long are people staying with this company? If they have a very a long time there and you start digging in, this is where you know, you're interviewing for a job. This has always been like my adult children. Uh, you know, my, my, my daughter just gave her notice this week and took a new job. She got recruited to heavily. Uh, and so basically like as part of her formal, the exit interview with the other company, she's like, look, I like you. I like the team, but there's just not the opportunities here. Yeah. So when, when you, when I go and I'm researching or when in the past I've researched a company, I will go and try and find potential peers or other people in the organization. I know there are websites out there, which, you know, like uh, Glassdoor, for example, where you get some information. I'm skeptical of some of what's in there and, and the bias that happens in both directions around sites like that. Have a real conversation with people and understand when you find long-term like retention of employees and when you interview them and talk about and they talk about different projects and being challenged and moving up like those are all the things that i clue in on like this is a healthy culture this is a place where they recognize that we'll utilize people's strengths around this area for this time but then give them other opportunities to continue growing we can't just hold people within those roles and so how, yeah. how, how much do you talk with your, like your clientele about that ongoing review of that process and creating a repeatable process of looking at, again, here we are on an annual basis, maybe, how are we structured? Do we have the right people? Where are we going? Yeah, it's, it's an ongoing process, right? Because I mean, for us, we look at the work that we do as, a, as an operating system within an organization. So it's not just something that you do every once in a while. It's the way that you run your company. And different companies have different operating systems in what they like. Some companies are, are just very sales or marketing heavy. And that's what they really pride themselves on. Some companies, you know, they pride themselves on the service that they give. Right. But I mean, we, our lens is run a people first organization, run a, run a company that focuses on their people first. And, you know, one of the, the programs that we have within pivot ready teams is called talent ascension. And it's, it's an entire focus on how to ascend people through the organization, how to create more opportunity for them, how to have the conversations, because we got three levels. We, we say people are either going to be uh, contributors, advancers, or directors within the organization. And that, that doesn't overlay with the org chart, but it's about how are they showing up? Are they showing up just to contribute, kind of do the job that they're doing and nothing more? Are they showing up as an advancer, which means they're doing their job really well, but they're going above and beyond continually they're helping out their teammates or are they being a director which means they're taking the highest level of responsibility they are really showing up as a leader they're empowering other people around them they're nailing their job because those are the kind of things that uh, unlock opportunity so what we do is we have a whole program of 
how do you identify at which level somebody is? And then how do you match their, their current and future opportunity needs to how they're showing up, right? Just, just like your daughter. Um, she's probably a talented person if she got recruited from another company. They're obviously giving her a bigger, better opportunity. She liked where she worked. She liked her team. She just said, hey, there's not opportunity here. So what, what that company failed to do was create a talent ascension plan for your daughter. You know, uh, our model is that you sit down every 90 days and you're having these conversations with, with your people. There's a review process in, in place, but it's a very untraditional review process. It's much more conversational. It's much more tuned into who this person is, how they're doing, what's going on in their life. Because we, we also realize like we cannot treat people like robots, right? People have lives. They have spouses. They have kids. They've got circumstances. They've got illnesses. They got worries. They got stress. There's a lot of stuff going on. So, you have to tune into where is that person on their journey? How are they showing up right now? And what's the level of opportunity that you can pour, you know, open up to them? But we 100% believe that it's earned. Right? Opportunity is earned. More money is earned. Leadership is earned. It's earned in how they show up day in and day out. It's not just somebody doesn't just do one thing great in the company and then you know they got the path open to them. Um, and and our expectation in our world and the, the way that we train our, our our the companies that we work with is that look, you got to set the standard that people have to be learning based, coachable, growth minded. If they want the biggest opportunities, if they want to really go to the next level. They have to show up in a way to do that. And that doesn't just mean that you're doing your job well. It's more than that, right? I mean, a lot of people can show up and do their job well, but who are the people that are showing up as advancers that are doing you know, more than what's being asked of them? And how do you reward them? And how, do you, how does that relationship change? Because it's a, it's a different relationship with a director, advancer, or contributor. And then, of course, a lot of companies have what we call sub-contributors, which are people that they're not really even doing their job they're giving you back pieces of the job. They're not, you can't really count on them. They're, they're not bought in. And, and a lot of companies actually hire a lot of people like that. So it's about the company understanding their standards too and who they have. And that's, that's you know, we, we do evaluations on that as well. But, you know, a lot of the companies that we work with, um, we, we typically work with companies that are two to three to 10, $15 million companies. I mean, that's kind of the, the core of what we, what we work with. And we work with a lot of companies that, you know, they've built a $5 million company. And then all of a sudden they hit a ceiling, you know, the profitability starts going down. They start hitting retention issues. They, they start finding that, man, like the, you know, the, they still want to drive, but there's a lot of people in the company that aren't driving. They, they've built a bottom heavy type organization that doesn't have an Ascension model. So usually it's, it's a little bit of re-engineering, restructuring, refocusing. And then within, you know, a year to 18 months, these companies started hitting record breaking growth. Again, they started developing a new level of culture, new level of energy, but it's 100% based on like getting to know your people and understanding how to get them to work together. And that, that last point, how, how to get them to work together? How do you get people collaborating better together? So, so how do you train an organization that is, you know, has a bunch of sole contributors, people that are out there that maybe their reward program, their recognition is around those lone wolf, go and do it, champion it yourself. And how do you get them to understand that through collaboration, you really start to scale. Yeah, so I mean, we we absolutely believe that the the, the foundation, the core of collaboration, is uh, by getting to know people at a deeper level. Like we we find most companies just don't really know their people, and you know, I'll, I'll challenge you know CEOs and other executive leaders on this, and I'll say, well, tell me about this person. You know, oh, they worked here for four years. Okay, well, tell me about their family. You know, what are their kids' names? What what's important to this person and their family? You know, what's the next big trip that they want to take? You know, what's that thing that they've always wanted to do in their lives they've never been able to do? You know, and, and you ask enough questions and all of a sudden, like, you get this kind of blank stare and they're like, I don't know. You're like, okay, well, how are you going to help them win if you don't know? So when, when you get to the point where you start to understand and know your people at a deeper level, what happens is you create a deeper level of buy-in. And when you start getting that deeper level of buy-in, um, it's because that there's a deeper level of found, foundational trust that's being built. So collaboration is about that foundational level of trust and getting that foundational level of buy-in. And a lot of times, I mean, it, it, you're going to start building the trust and building the buy-in when you start allowing that person to bring more voice into the, the conversation, to bring more voice into the company. 
And, you know, voice does not mean consensus, right? I mean, leadership by consensus is actually, in many cases, a very bad idea because, you know, ultimately the leader is going to have to make the call. And that means that sometimes they've got to make a call that's kind of goes against what somebody voiced and that's okay. But did that person authentically get to voice their concern and their input? Um, and then also once the voice is in there, there has to be space where people can have space to fail. Ultimately, mm. you got to create kind of a, a little bit of a lab type environment where it's like, it's okay if they fail. It's okay if they screw up. Cause you know, a lot of leaders want to put that pressure on their people. Like you can't fail. You can't make mistakes. You know, you're going to get fired if you do this and you go to the leader and you're like, Hey, how many mistakes did you make when you started your company? But there's a difference between mistakes where somebody has been trained, you've repeatedly discussed those things, and they go in and they do that. It's through, I mean, you can say it's through like incompetence within the role. It's just, it's, it's beyond their ability to go and do that thing. And then there are the mistakes that are made on the path of learning and moving yeah. forward. Like anybody within that position would have made that mistake. And the majority, mm -hmm. in my experience, are the latter. Our people, yep. as they're learning, they're progressing and doing something like we as an organization didn't know we went with the, we moved forward with the best information we had, this happened. And that's where so many organizations, again, and I'm still, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm still very bitter about, you know, past failures and some of those stories of, of that I then got ripped to shreds around mm. those failures were like any one of us. Like I was trying to progress yeah. this forward and then was penalized for that. And mm -hmm. so it's the, uh, I, 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 I hear Homer Simpson's voice on my head every time says we tried and we failed. What did we learn? Never try. That's the, <laughs> we're, we're teaching that we're programming, yeah. programming that into our, into our people. Well, and, and essentially, I mean, you, you can't have collaboration if people, if the trust isn't there that I can bring my voice in, that I can try things and fail. And, and again, we're not talking about, you know, when you were kind of talking about the two differences between really trying and you're, you're, you're failing, you're learning versus like, hey, you're repeatedly making the same mistake, right? Is the way that we view that is very simple. Is like, is this a commitment issue or is this a skills and experience issue? Because if it's a if it's a commitment issue that you're just not committed to doing doing the work and doing it well, then look, we're done here. Like if you're not committed to that, I can't be committed to you working here, to leading you, to creating opportunity. Now, if it's a skills issue that you just don't have the skill or the experience yet, then let's figure out what needs to happen. You know, what did you learn from that mistake? How can we how can we minimize that next time? Like how can we approach this differently? it's a very different conversation. So it is important for leaders to, to figure out with their people, if, if mistakes are being made, is it because there's a lack of commitment or is there a lack of skill and experience? Because if there's a lack of commitment, you can't do anything about it. If it's skill and experience, then it comes, okay, step in and help lead them, help coach them, help, help them work through that and honor the mistakes. You know, it's like sometimes a screw up happens and you're like, that was a really good screw up. I mean, it cost us some money and it cost us a client or something like that. But wow, what did we learn from that? And what did you learn from that? Right. You know, hey, good job, you know, Christian on, you know, having that initiative and making that call. And maybe it's not the call that I would have made, but like, good for you for making the call and, and taking that chance. Like, I want to honor that initiative. And, you know, it's, it's just a different approach to leadership because again, it's, it's a people first approach to leadership. Yeah, that I, you know, I had a great conversation with a prior company where one of the interviews, the lengthy interview uh, that I went through, um, asked that question of like, what was your greatest failure? And what did you mm -hmm. learn? From that? And I shared that. And I've actually, I did it. I did a keynote address at an event in, uh, uh, in Australia. And I shared this story where I actually went through and talked about this, this failure where I lost my job, where I was told you need to go find another job in the company, but the team no longer wants to work with you. Like you were successful in delivery, yet you burned every bridge to get to hit the date and to stay right. within budget. And it was the how, and that was the takeaway was I learned how I move forward with that project was as important with delivering that. And I, it, look, it stuck with me. I, th that was 25 years ago and it stuck with me through my entire career. And, and so you have to allow people to experience those things. Obviously you want to mitigate those risks, but you mm -hmm. want to allow people to, uh, 
to experience those those failures as well as those wins. Well, well, Dirk, I know that we're we're out of time. I really appreciate the time. Folks want to find out more about you or, or about your company. What are the best ways to go and find that info? Yeah, the the best way is go to bergflow.com. It's b e r g f l o w bergflow.com. And uh, you can learn more about our company there. And you can also reach out if, uh, if you want to set up a chat, set up a, a free consultation just to kind of talk about what's going on in your company. Well, awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time today and I appreciate it. And of course, we'll have all the links to all of this and how you can find out more about uh, Dirk and his company out on the blog once it's live. And uh, thanks for participating in the Collab Talk podcast. Yeah, Christian, again, I appreciate the opportunity, man. It's a, 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 it's a great conversation. Thank you for, for your uh, in-depth in you know, understanding of this uh, as well. And I uh, just really enjoyed the, the, the conversation. Thank you. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published every Friday, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast services. Thanks for listening. Hungry for more great content? You have to check out the Shift Happens podcast. I'm your host, Docs Raymond Sai, Chief Brand Officer at AppPoint. And I sit down to chat with top business leaders and IT professionals about their most challenging modern workplace projects. Tune in to hear real-life advice from industry peers on making plans and pivots, casual conversations exploring the latest trends in collaborative Microsoft 365 technology, and easy, actionable strategies to make organizational change happen. Subscribe to the Shift Happens podcast today, available on all major platforms. Can't wait to see you there. Shift Happens Podcast.